You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning again, everyone. Let me welcome those of you who are listening by podcast today as we are in part five of our Unshakable series. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter four. Uh, if you need a Bible, there are some under the chairs in the racks below, and you can turn there. If you don't know where 1 Peter is, please feel free to use the table of contents at the beginning. That's why God put it there for you to be able to find those books. So uh, take a look at that. If you'd like to follow along in the Riverside app, you can do that uh, as well and follow along in the digital notes. Go to the live section there inside of our app. There are also paper notes that you'll find in your bulletins there if you'd like paper to follow along today. Maybe jot down some things that the Lord might say to you. If you're newer this morning, again, we're so glad that you're here and it's my privilege to be able to share with you today from God's Word. And I want to invite you to come and chat afterwards, ask any questions. If you have questions about Riverside in general, please, that's why we're here. We're We're here to help you to find Jesus, to follow follow him to learn what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. And so this series that we've been in is really the kickoff to an overarching year-long series that we're going to be in with a theme that we've entitled Bold Faith. And we believe that bold faith begins and it rests on an unshakable foundation. And so that's what this series has been about. We've been talking about the unshakable foundation. And that all begins with God. He is our unshakable foundation. And we began to look through the unshakable family, the unshakable church that he has created. We looked at the unshakable mission, which is all about contributing to the needs around us and to the world around us and how we're to be active responsible responders to God's grace and contribute to the world around us. Last week, we talked about his unshakable freedom and how he offers us an unshakable freedom that he wants us to pass on to those who are in slavery, who are experiencing injustice in this world. And today, we're going to talk about his unshakable peace. Peace in the midst of suffering, peace in the midst of hardship and tragedy, peace when we find ourselves in persecution, when we're mocked, in times of transition, when we're ridiculed, or when we're hurt in some way. And so wherever you find yourself today, whether you're here in the front of the room or in the back of the room, whether you're listening by podcast, I wanna invite you to, from the get-go, lean into the Holy Spirit's whispers today because he wants to offer you his peace. And you may not find yourself in a tremendously tumultuous season right now, but I've found that most people are either coming out of one or they're about to head into one in some way, shape, or form. And so if you're not there today, or perhaps if you've never experienced ridicule or persecution in any form for being a follower of Jesus, take good notes because when you follow him and when you live for him wholeheartedly, eventually you're going to experience some suffering along the way. We're going to be in this fourth chapter of Peter's writings today. Peter was one of the very first followers of Jesus. He was a very committed follower. He was one of Jesus' inner circle, one of his very closest. And Peter understood suffering. In fact, when we think about persecution in Western Christianity today, even on our worst days, we're not experiencing all that Peter and his first century followers of Jesus would have experienced. The Romans were in power. Nero was the emperor, and he was a persecutor of anyone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus. 
fact, they were ostracized. They couldn't hold jobs. They were kicked out of their relationships so many times that they became a follower of Jesus. They were literally thrown into the lion's dens. They were crucified. They were beaten. They were whipped. And there's even accounts where they would have pitch placed on them. They would be tied to posts and they would be burned at the stake as torches, human torches in the Imperial Roman gardens. So when we talk about persecution, when you see Peter's understanding of that, it's so ingrained in the first century culture. And as we look through this, I hope that there's some peace that God can offer to you and to me today as we talk about this whole journey from the pain of persecution, the pain of suffering, the pain of hardship, to the place of peace. Because I think as we look through what we're going to read today from Peter's writings, you're going to see this winding road of how to get from one to the other. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 4 and verse 12. Here's what Peter writes. He says, don't be, uh, friends, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. He says, don't be taken aback. Don't be bewildered. Don't think that it's strange that life is going to get difficult, that you're going to walk through these fiery troubles, these difficult times when you're literally in over your head. And Peter, in essence, is saying here that when we begin to experience persecution, when we begin to experience suffering, we experience shock. We're surprised. We experience this shock that we didn't see it coming, and Peter wants to help us to see that with a whole new set of lenses. You see, our tendency when we experience suffering is to question the necessity of the suffering, don't we? I mean, God, where are you in this? God, why is this happening to you? That's our typical standard reaction. Certainly, we can understand that. But our, despite this tendency to question it, despite the tendency even to rebel against suffering, we shouldn't be surprised when it happens because we follow one who was intimately aware, intimately connected to suffering in Jesus. In fact, one of the followers of Jesus, another guy by the name of John, recorded a conversation with Jesus had with his followers. He put it in his gospel in chapter 15 and verse 20, and this is what Jesus said that day. If they persecuted me, they will, not if, not maybe, they will persecute you also. And that is so ingrained within John and those first early followers that later when John would write to a group of believers, this is what he would say in his letter in in 1 John chapter 3, do not be, what? Surprised. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Persecution is a refining process for all of us. It reveals whether our faith is genuine You see, fiery trials come when we take a stand for God, when we say, I will be a person of integrity, I will be a person of good character, I will not compromise, I will stand for what is right and holy and godly in this world that embraces instead lies and deceit and uh, kind of the idea of I want to get up on someone else, I want to always be about me and the pleasure of the, and the pride of life that this world pursues. But as Jesus followers, we are to build our lives on him, his teachings, his word, his Holy Spirit lives within us, and this will cause at times 
persecution. We will be made fun of. We will experience just difficulty in this life. Maybe your suffering isn't necessarily from persecution, but you're still facing a very difficult time, an uncertain time. Maybe it's a season of transition for you, and you need to experience the peace of God in our time together this morning. Now, even though suffering is normal, it's still very, very real for us, and it's difficult. Peter goes on in verse 13, and he says, Instead, be very glad. It says, literally, be constantly rejoicing. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. We're going to share with Christ. We're going to experience this fellowship with Christ in suffering. So that, why? Why, Peter? Why should we rejoice? Why should we be very glad? So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. So he says, pay attention to why you're suffering. Because if you're suffering because of your own stupidity and your own mistakes, that's one thing. That's a different conversation. Peter's saying here, if you're suffering for bearing the name of Christ well, then here's how you need to respond to this. Here's how you need to look at this. He says, it is no shame. And Peter blew this earlier in his life. Peter was ashamed of Jesus the night that he was betrayed, the night that the arrest came in the garden. You may be familiar with the story. He denied even knowing Jesus three times. And earlier in his life, he was ashamed. But now he says, it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. And in his world and in his day, if you were suffering to be, because you were a Christian, it was because the term Christian was not an endearing term. It was always a negative connotation. It was a, it was a term of mockery that you would actually follow this Jewish carpenter. And so he says in these moments that when we experience this suffering, that we need a shift in our perspective. We need to shift our perspective when we experience suffering, we're shocked, and that's on one end of the spectrum. Over here is the shock. How do we actually get from the shock over to the place where we're rejoicing, where we're celebrating, where we can actually have a shift in our perspective? I want to invite you today to have a partnership perspective when it comes to suffering, when it comes to difficulty. I want to hope that you could begin to see, in fact, what if you could see suffering not as a penalty, but rather, what if you could view suffering as a privilege? I know we don't think like that in our world of comfort and ease. We don't want to experience that hardship, but when it comes, what if we could have a change in the way that we understood how suffering was happening? What if we could see it instead as a way that we partner with Jesus in what he experienced. And I'm telling you, the only way you're gonna get this is to allow the Holy Spirit to infiltrate and to penetrate your heart and your mind and help you to see it differently. Outside of the Holy Spirit's help, you will continue to push back and reject the classroom of pain 
Because it is in the classroom of pain that God grows us sometimes the most deeply. And the only way that you move from this shock and surprise and this pain over to the place where there is peace is when in between you realize who you are in Christ and the identity that you have in Christ that you share in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. We follow one who was well acquainted with grief and pain and suffering. And so as our attitude shifts, we begin to find joy even in the midst of those difficult times. He goes on in verse 16 and he says, praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. See the shift that's occurred in Peter's heart and in his mind. Earlier he was ashamed, but now he's actually rejoicing. He's celebrating that. Only when he understood who he was as an adopted son And when you and I get this as his adopted children, sons and daughters into his family, our identity is in Christ. And Jesus overcame that suffering for us so that when we go through it, we might be more like him. He says, for the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? So... If you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. I think that Peter's trying to tell us here that we need to welcome the purifying process that we need to welcome that. We've got to understand that God is not going to replace suffering with glory. Rather, he's going to transform our suffering into glory. It's designed to prune us. It's designed to purify us. When he's talking there about judgment, he's not talking about condemnation. He's not talking about punishment. He's talking about a pruning process. He's talking about a purifying process whereby we, as we identify with the sufferings of Jesus and we embrace it, we welcome this. Once the perspective that we have with regard to persecution and regard to suffering has changed, it begins in our heart and mind, and then we welcome it. We rejoice in it, and we get to that place where we can be exactly what Peter's referring to here. We welcome this purifying process. Judgment is all in this context about cleansing us. Remember, you are valuable to your heavenly father. He loves you. He made you. He understands how you're wired and what you're facing. And he wants to use the suffering in your life, the pain that you go through to purify you, to cleanse you, to help you to grow up in him, to mature, to deepen your relationship and your dependence upon God. Now, our tendency is to believe that the absence of suffering is glory, right? But God invites us through his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit to have a different perspective, a change in how we view and the outlook that we have. So what's it like, he says there, to suffer in a manner that pleases God? What's that like? And I think earlier he gives us the antithesis of what that looks like. So what it doesn't look like is that we don't retaliate. And our natural tendency is to push back, to fight back, to defend ourselves when we're persecuted, when we're suffering. But God calls us, the example of Jesus is, 
is that we lay our lives down. We're not doormats, but that we embrace that in such a way that we grow through it. He talks on about that, what it doesn't look like is not to push back physically, not to engage in physical violence, theft, slander, hatred, gossip. There's a whole list there. Our loving response in the midst of persecution can actually make Jesus attractive to our persecutors and they might actually find him and begin to follow him. That's what we're invited into. That's what Peter had learned by following Jesus. It was a different perspective. And now he was welcoming that purifying process. So when you find yourself in those times of persecution, suffering, ask yourself, God, why, why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? Am I ashamed of you as I'm walking through this? Or am I glorifying you? When you're made fun of on your campus, in your classroom, with your friends, at your job, in your home, in your relationships with the people that you're closest to, but maybe yet aren't following Jesus, what's your reaction? God's invited you to extend his love even in the moments of suffering. It's hard. It's a challenge. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit to give us a bold faith that is built upon this unshakable peace that he offers us. Once you get there, could you actually experience the idea of giving thanks in the suffering, rejoicing in that? You can if you're experiencing what Peter's writing about here. And then he says you do the next right thing. He says keep on doing what is right. And then you trust yourself, you commit yourself. The word for trust there is the idea of committing yourself to God, all of who you are to him because he's trustworthy and reliable. It's a banking term. It's as if you're depositing yourself in God's safety deposit box and he has got your back. You live out in such a way that moment by moment you're trusting him, you're committing yourself to him. Now, when you move past the shock, to the place where you begin to welcome this pruning process. Your perspective is changing. You understand that you follow someone who is committed to helping you through the suffering and that he's not going to take you anywhere that he himself hasn't gone. And you welcome this process. Then how do you daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, how do you ongoing commit yourself to him? Well, over in chapter five, I think Peter helps us to see some things that really flesh this out for us. As we get this new perspective, he continues in chapter five and verse six. Look at it with me there, if you would. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand or under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. We trust ourselves. We commit ourselves to God when we humble ourselves. That's where we begin. It begins in humility. That means that we repent. That means we acknowledge that we are completely dependent upon God. And even in the midst of circumstances that we find ourselves in way over our heads, it is that moment when we say, God, this is too big for me. I'm dependent upon you. That we realize that the same mighty hand that allows you to suffer will one day lift you up. He goes on in verse seven. He says, give all your cares, 
all your worries to God for he cares about you. And if you came today and you were questioning whether or not your heavenly father cares for you, you need to know that he does. You need to know that there is a creator God who in the moment today wants you to whisper into your soul that he cares about you. And he's inviting you to relinquish control. When we begin by humbling ourselves, it continues as we relinquish control. He says, give all your cares, give all your worries, give all your concerns, literally cast them, hurl them upon God. And you relinquish control in that moment. And I hate this part because I am an ongoing control freak. Could I get some love in the room from all of our control freaks? Thank you so much. Makes me feel like I'm not alone. I truly wish he hadn't written some of this in here, but along the way to the place of peace, along this path to moving from complete surprise and shock and pain and persecution and suffering to the place where we ultimately experience peace, along the way, God invites us as a good heavenly father, as you would want your children to, to cast all your doubt, to cast all your worries, to cast all your fears, to cast all of your disappointments and your discouragement and your frustration, to put that all on him because his shoulders are broad enough and he is big enough and he is an unshakable God who can handle all of those things that we face. Our challenge though, or at least mine, is that I want to pick and choose the cares and the worries and anxieties that I have. God, you can have this one right here. That one's yours. You got that one, God. Over here, this is way too big for me, God. I would love for you to go ahead and take that one for me. I'm gonna go ahead and give you that. I'm gonna cast that on you. And this one right here, God, I'm hurling this one on you. But you know, this one over here, this looks small enough. I think I could go ahead and hang on to this one. You're kind of a busy God. You got a lot going on. I'll go ahead and handle this one. And this thing over here, I know, you know, hey, if we could just, I'm gonna go ahead and handle that one for you, God. No, no, no. He says you cast all your cares. You relinquish control in every area if you're going to truly move from this pain of persecution to this place of peace, the suffering that we find ourselves in. And when you do that, he gives you courage to face the circumstances. He gives you wisdom and how to know how to handle those encounters and those interactions and those conversations. And he gives you the bold faith that comes as you relinquish control. Now, He gives us the faith to trust him. He's the initiator. It's always God initiating. But we do have our part in this. And our part as we entrust ourselves to him is in the next few verses. This is the role that we have to play in verse eight. Stay alert. Watch out for your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says, watch out for this great enemy, this malicious adversary of your soul and mind, this accuser, this slanderer, the devil. And our part in all of this is that we are to remain watchful. As we humble ourselves, as we relinquish control, then our part is to watch out for the attacks of the enemy because more trouble will come, more difficulties will come. And our enemy is real. And our confidence in God's care of us is not an excuse for us to use our lives or live our lives carelessly. His game plan, in case you're unaware of this, his game plan is to tempt you, is to persecute you, is to create a sense of fear in your heart 
is to overwhelm you with insecurities and anxieties and worry and doubt. It's to sow discord and to tear apart your relationships, your friendships, your marriages, your families. And so we need to remain watchful. His desire ultimately, Jesus said, is to steal, kill, and destroy our relationship with God. Now the good news is, is that Jesus warned us of this. Peter continues warning us of this, and we have the promise that he is defeated. He was defeated at the cross. He is still working his best efforts, but he is defeated, and greater is the Holy Spirit who lives in you than this enemy that we face that is in this world. So you remain watchful, and if you're going to remain watchful in order to be victorious in this area, my counsel is that you respect him because he's dangerous. He's not God, but he's powerful. Peter uses the metaphor of a lion. And in their day and age, that was literal lions they were facing. In a spiritual sense, we need to respect him. We also need to recognize him as the great pretender. He's a subtle foe. So always be on guard. And his goal is to counterfeit whatever God is doing. And then you resist him. The brother of Jesus said, you submit yourselves to God, you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's how Peter put it in the next verses. He says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. You resist him, you withstand him. People with bold faith bow before God and they stand before the enemy. And we do this together. Look at what Peter, just how he describes it in verse nine. Remember, that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. We are not alone. Don't buy into the lie that you're the only one facing fill in the blank. His desire is to isolate us, to get us off into one area of our lives all by ourselves that no one else knows about. That's his desire. And when he can get us alone, then he can attack us. And we are in this together. We stand together with arms linked in faith in Christ, and we persevere together in faith. And we do this as a family. He goes on in verse 10, and he says this. In his kindness, God called you. Let me just pause there and just say that so many of you have experienced that calling you came to faith in Christ. You put your trust in him. For some of you today, that could be your experience. You could be hearing the whisper of the Holy Spirit calling you out to step into a relationship with God. For some of you, maybe it's been years and today's your day to return home, to come and find that peace that God makes available to us because of what Jesus did you can make some decisions today. You can acknowledge that you're dependent upon him and you can be rescued. You can find not just peace in the circumstances, but peace with God ultimately as he calls you to himself. He says that when we experience that calling, we share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that we have that connection to God. So after you have suffered a little while, let me just pause there because if you're like me, I would like a little while defined, please. 
could we like suffer? God, could I like suffer? I've got some time Tuesday between three and four. Could I suffer between three and four and then be done with it? Could you just not make it more than three or four days, Jesus? Maybe a week. I mean, seriously, more than a month and I'm really going to be put out. This suffering thing's got to go. I don't know if I could handle this for years at a time. And I wish I could tell you. I wish I had a magic formula for you to know how long the suffering is. But whatever it looks like, if you can have your perspective shifted to see suffering as a classroom for you to grow in, you can endure this little time because he promises something absolutely beautiful. And as we read these verses, I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes, the man who was ashamed of Jesus, the man who rejected Jesus in that moment at that night. But then by God's grace, he was made at peace with his heavenly father because on a shore in the outskirts of Jerusalem, Galilee and that whole region there, Jesus reinstates Peter for each of the times that he had rejected or denied or was ashamed of Jesus. Jesus restored Peter. Jesus helped Peter to see that this life is more than just what he did in a moment, but that God had a great plan for him, a glorious plan for him, and that he would die, but he would not die without the hope of eternal life, and that he could be at peace with God. In fact, he was made at peace with God because of what Jesus did. And in this moment, look at what he says, after you have suffered a little while, and Jesus that day promised Peter, you're going to die, and even in the death I want you to find glory in this pain because here's what he says. He, God himself, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he, it's always God, he will place you on a firm foundation. He will restore you. He's going to repair you. He's going to equip you. He's going to fit you together. Literally, he's going to perfect you as you've gone through the suffering He's going to confirm you. He's going to give you the strength to meet the demands that you find yourself in, in the course of this life. And he will place you on a firm foundation. He's going to establish you. He's going to fix firmly your feet. And it's an unshakable foundation. And he says, all power to him forever. Amen. We're going to talk all about the power, the unshakable power next week. So I don't want you to miss next week. We're going to wrap this series up, and I hope that you'll come back to hear the final installment of this series as we talk about the unshakable power. Peter's going to write about it, and we're going to see the magnificence of the power of God working in us. But today, he wants to offer you and I this peace. And what I think Peter is saying here, I would sum up what he just wrote by saying this, that as we get to this place in our journey of, to the, of getting to the place of peace, is that we allow God to do what only he can do. He himself will restore us. He will place our feet squarely on a firm foundation. He'll impart new strength and firmness. He'll settle our hearts and lives. He'll free us from that anxiety and that fear and that doubt and that worry that we find ourselves in when we're in the place of suffering, when we're experiencing that. That's his promise to us, and it's an unshakable foundation. And then Peter wraps up this beautiful letter, the same place that he started. If you look over in chapter one, you'll see him extending to them God's peace. 
And then he tells them, there's gonna be suffering. There's gonna be persecution. Here's how you handle it. Here's how you walk through that. And then at the end, he offers them these words in verse 14. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. After you've worked through that shock and you get a new perspective, you realize that this is a way for God to purify you, to perfect you. You welcome that. You humble yourself. You relinquish control. You remain watchful and you allow God to do what only he can do. At that point, you and I, we can embrace his peace. And it's an unshakable peace. Not based on our own best efforts, but based on what he did for us and what he wants to do in us today, this week living and active within us. And the emblems of communion that we receive this morning are reminders of the peace that is made available to us because of what Jesus did. So I'm gonna invite those of you who are serving us to prepare to do that. Invite the worship team to come back. And I wanna just ask you this morning, along this whole journey that we've been talking about, where is it that you most need God's unshakable peace. Maybe something has just happened and your whole world is spinning out of control. And today you're in shock. You need his peace. For others of us, we just can't seem to see that this is a way that God could actually grow us and we need a change in our perspective. For others of us, we're still fighting against letting go, humbling ourselves, embracing this purifying process, relinquishing the control that we so desperately want that is really nothing more than a facade. It has the appearance that we're in control. And today, your day is your day to experience God's peace. For others of you, he's calling you right now to come to him by faith, and today is your day to experience eternal peace. Maybe you're trying to do it all yourself, but it's today is your day to let God do what only he can do. Would you bow your hearts? I wanna pray for you. I wanna invite you to use these moments to prepare for the elements to be distributed. You know, this week, I was thinking back to my own high school days. Some people who along the way persecuted me quite a bit for being a Jesus follower. They mocked me. They made fun of me. And it's interesting that in our adult years, I've actually gotten emails. I've gotten Facebook messages, people who grew up a bit along the way and have sent apologies for things that they did as we were growing up. And perhaps today you could look back over the course of your life and you've been the source of hurt or pain in someone else's life. Maybe your response today is to go and to make that right, to acknowledge it, to take responsibility for it, to ask for forgiveness and bring healing to some hurts. Others of us, we need to let go of some hurts. Wherever you find yourself today, let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, some of us are in shock this morning. Right now, we need a shift in our outlook so, Lord, would you please help us to see the suffering that we're experiencing from an eternal perspective? 
Lord, it's hard, but we're asking you to grant us the desire to embrace that pruning process because, Lord, we know that in the end, we'll be more like Jesus as we learn to partner with you to allow suffering to perfect us. Lord, when we experience hardship, we honestly, honestly, really, Lord, we want to grow through it in a way that honors you. So we choose right now to humble ourselves and let go of our desire to control the situation and the outcome. Lord, would you grant us an awareness of our enemy's schemes and give us the strength to stand strong upon your unshakable foundation. Father, we invite you to do what only you can do. Please restore, support, and strengthen us. We long to know the peace that you give. It passes understanding. It guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we boldly ask for your unshakable peace. And we thank you for it. In the name of the Prince of Peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.